Amen. Psalm 130 is one of my favorite and survival psalms. If you don't know the whole psalm, I'd encourage you to uh, actually uh, read it. Uh, and this singing this uh, song here would be all the more meaningful if you uh, read the entire psalm. Turn with me this morning to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25, and we're continuing our messages out of 1 Peter, but the particular text here is very appropriate for our Lord's Supper, so we'll just stay in, in Peter uh, for our communion service here, here this morning. And, you know, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 24 through 25, Peter transitions from showing us uh, Christ's example, and he reminds us of his work on our behalf, which enables us to do and follow in his steps. And what that looks like is to patiently bear suffering unjustly for doing good. Verse 24, 1 Peter chapter 2 <clears throat> who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls." We're going to meditate on those words here this morning. Uh, So, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree? We're commemorating that this morning. And here's the purpose. That we, having died to sin, we die to the enslavement of sin through the cross. The cross is bigger than just forgiveness. It's bigger than that. Our sanctification and deliverance from the power of sin is also bound right up into the cross. And Peter is emphasizing that second aspect of the power of Christ's death. Having died to sin, how did that happen? It happened through our union with Christ on the cross. That we, what, might live for righteousness, for by whose wounds you were healed. The healing has already taken place through the cross. The healing here is a life of righteousness. That's the healing. It's already taken place. And verse 25 describes that healing that he has in mind. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That's the healing. That's the healing. A return to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. That's a wonderful text of Scripture. We need to think about that. We'll focus on verse 25 this morning. Peter reminds us of the condition we were in when Christ called us. 
For you were like sheep going astray. Every believer says that's so true. Doesn't matter whether you're raised in a Christian home, whether you're outside living in the world, doesn't matter. When you're converted, you come to this realization I was a sheep going astray. You're right, Peter. You described me. Praise God, though, it's in the past tense. For you are like sheep going astray. You know, it's a rather humbling figure for mankind, even ourselves. Lost sheep gone astray. That doesn't describe us. That, 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 uh, doesn't that describe us prior to God calling us? We think we are the captain of our souls and the master of our fate. And what are we when we're in that state? Sheep following the herd going astray. I'm the master of my fate, okay, and the captain of my soul. No, you're not. You're not. I wasn't, and neither were you. You were a lost sheep following a herd of lost sheep. That's what Peter says. That's what we were. Peter is still drawing from Isaiah 53, 5 through 6, isn't he? Which gives us more understanding of this going astray. We were not passive victims who unknowingly, you know, the cute little innocent sheep. You know, we have romanticized all this stuff about the sheep, the cute little sheep, poor little victim strayed off by herself or himself and went astray. No, no, that's not the picture. No, he draws from Isaiah 53. All we like sheep, Isaiah 53, verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned. We had our hands on the steering wheel. We turned that steering wheel, didn't we? Absolutely. We have turned everyone to his own way. We're not victims. We drove the car. We have turned everyone to his own way. So those words, we have turned everyone to his own way, define the straying. We strayed. What did that look like? Putting your hands on the wheel, saying, I'm driving this car. I'm driving this life. I'm driving this life. Okay. Yeah. Did some sinister force pull us away? Did some evil person tempt us away? No, these are factors, but they are not the fundamental cause of our straying. The text tells us plainly the cause of our straying. We have turned everyone what to his own way. My way versus God's way. That's the issue. My way versus God's way. Rebellion against a God's authority. 
a rejection of God's wisdom. Rejection of God's wisdom, going my own way. I'm wiser than God. I'm wiser than his word. I know what's better for myself than he does. That's the going astray. Yeah. Sheep require a lot of care. And left to ourselves, we do one thing, and that is stray. As such sheep, as such sheep are a very appropriate figure to illustrate the sinfulness of humanity and the necessity of God's intervention to save us. God must intervene or we're lost. God must intervene or humanity is lost. God must intervene or you individually are lost. God's intervention and its necessity to save us from the destruction that our sinning will ultimately bring upon us. That's right. What do straying sheep need? They need a great shepherd and overseer of their souls. That's what we need. I'd have never said that until I was converted, that what I need is a shepherd, an overseer of my life. That's right. That's what strange sheep need. Returning, returning to the shepherd illustrates what dying to sin and living for righteousness looks like. What does it look like? What is that dying to sin in the previous verse? And what does that living for righteousness look like experientially? It looks like verse 25. When you die to sin, you return to the shepherd. When you die to sin, you return to an overseer of your soul. You get your marching orders from the shepherd and the overseer. What a wonder. That's what it looks like to die to sin and to live to righteousness, to follow in his steps. That's the whole context here. That's what it looks like. We don't need to go outside of the context here to see what that looks like. It looks like following in Jesus' step as you have returned to the shepherd and the overwatcher of your soul. It's that personal. This is personal. This is not just a doctrine to agree with. This is talking about your relationship with the Son of God sent from God into this world To save us. That's what it looks like. The shepherd and the sheep, the relationship restored. The sheep are now trying to keep their eyes on the shepherd and follow him. 
Their relationship to the shepherd has been restored. Praise God. What does Jesus say about his sheep in John chapter 10? My sheep, they hear my voice and they follow me. That's how you can tell someone's converted. Are they listening to the voice of the great shepherd? Every person that's converted looks like that. They hear the voice of the gracious shepherd. That's what we look for in people before we baptize them. Are they, are they, are, are, are they demonstrating this? Have they returned to the shepherd? My sheep, they hear my voice, and they follow me. That's what having died to sin and now living for righteousness looks like. Hearing the great shepherd's gracious voice, and you realize there's no voice like his. There's no voice like this. This is the Son of God incarnate. There's no voice like this voice. And that voice becomes the dominant voice in our lives. What is the dominant voice in your life that you hear? Is it this shepherd? I hope it is. If you're a believer here this morning, I trust it is. You know, there's thousands of voices competing. Children. There's thousands of voices competing for your attention. Which voice do you hear above all those other voices? God, help us. That is the voice of this loving, wonderful shepherd. Okay. So the, the imagery here is just, it's just wonderful about our Savior. Now, consider this. Consider now that our Lord Jesus is represented to us as the shepherd and overseer of our souls. We have some understanding about the duties of a shepherd. They are to busy themselves night and day for the welfare of the sheep. We've got to feed the sheep. We've got to protect the sheep. <laughs> We've got to lead the sheep <laughs> to find waters. We've got to put the sheep into the sheepfold at night. They're busy. They're busy over the welfare of the sheep. What a comforting thought that is for every child of God. The shepherd is busying himself, brothers and sisters. He's busying himself over your well-being and, 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 and over your safety. The shepherd is busy, busying himself, taking care of you and me. Think about that. It's wonderful. But Peter also refers to Jesus as our bishop and overseer. We're less familiar with this term. And this is the only place in the New Testament where it is applied to Jesus. It's a compound word, overwatch. Thus the translation overseer, overwatch. He's the overwatcher 
of our souls. One who keeps watch. Now, how well the term fits with Jesus being our shepherd, doesn't it? A faithful shepherd is always watching his sheep. Watching, overwatching his sheep. He always has an eye on his sheep. He is constantly on the alert to ensure their well-being. And oh, how many times He has saved and protected us. <laughs> you look back and, and, and you... <laughs> the overwatcher kept, pulled me out of that one. <laughs> or He stopped me from taking that step. He's constantly watching. He's overseeing. Our souls is what he's concerned about. He's not so much overseeing your pocketbook. (laughs) He's overseeing your soul. Isn't that, that... That's just a wonderful thing. He's overseeing our soul. What a comforting thought. This is for every child of God. He has his eye upon me. He does, brothers and sisters. He does. He's the perfect bishop. He's the perfect overseer. The perfect watcher and shepherd Think of a little child, how they feel secure just knowing they are in mom's sight. Just knowing that there's mom, here I am, she can see me, I feel secure. Mom steps out of the room, panic sets in. (laughs) Jesus never steps out of the room. Right? He's the overwatcher of our souls. He never steps out of the room. You and I are never out of his sight. He's the overseer of your souls, brothers and sisters. You know, as I, you know, praise God, you know, us preachers have to meditate on the word. <laughs> I, I was strangely warm this week just thinking about that. The overseer. He's never out of the room like that little child and there's mom. Never. I, I don't know about you. That's a wonderful thing. You know. And you know, there may be seasons of rebellion where you run off to another room. You know who else? Jesus is in that room too. (laughs) He's in that room. How many times has he found us in the other room? (laughs) That he's followed us to every room we've gone to. This faithful shepherd, who is an overseer, has followed us into every one of those rooms. Praise God. Is that? Praise God. Yeah. Let us reap the great comfort this may bring in all situations. Who shepherds and keeps watch over my soul, 
I belong to him. He's faithful. The Lord Jesus himself, entrust yourself, entrust yourself to his care. Brothers and sisters, here's another major thought. How long has Jesus been keeping watch over our souls? How long has he been doing this? Listen to his words in John chapter 6 and John chapter 10. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I should lose nothing but raise it up at the last day. He has had watch of our souls ever since the Father gave us to him. He had watch of our souls from eternity past when the Father gave his people to the Son. And he knew right then It's my responsibility to lose not a one of them. He has had watch of our souls in the recesses of eternity and knew that he was responsible not to lose one. You and I have been on his mind and under his watch from the point that the Father committed us to the Son. How overwhelming of a thought is that? That's right. That all he has given me, here's the shepherd, I should lose nothing but should raise it up on the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. That's how long he's had watch over us. He was watching over me when his name was nothing but a swear word in my mouth. He was watching over me. That's right. John 10, Another sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So he's watched over our souls in the recesses of eternity. As he watched over our souls from eternity past, what did he see? What did he see? He saw that we had gotten ourselves into deep, deep trouble. (laughs) What did he see when he watched Dan Cafesi? He saw everything that Dan Cafesi would do. (laughs) And I don't need to talk about it. 
<laughs> but he saw when he's watching over. That's what he saw. He saw that we had gotten ourselves into deep, deep trouble. In so much trouble that it would necessitate him coming into our world to save us. And taking on our human nature and revealing God to us and going to the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He saw all of that coming into our world to save us by dying the judicial death we so richly deserve. He didn't save us from a distance. (laughs) He didn't send someone else to save us. (laughs) He joined himself to us and united himself to us as sinners as he watched over us and came to save us. Listen to what he said on the occasion of saying, saving one of his strange sheep when the self-righteous were grumbling and complaining against Jesus when he went into the house of a self, uh, when he went into the house of a chief tax collector, Zacchaeus, who was a sinner, and the self-righteous complained. And Jesus said this, to Zacchaeus. I don't have time to read the whole account. And Jesus said to him, to Zacchaeus, and they were griping at Zacchaeus, and he said, Ah, Jesus, he went into the house of a sinner. And they were complaining. Zacchaeus stood up and defended Jesus, and Jesus looked at Zacchaeus, and Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So in eternity past, the Son of Man says, i got to go. I have to come. I have to come to save Zacchaeus. And that's what he explained to those self-righteous Pharisees. The Son of Man has come. As the Son of Man watched Zacchaeus' life unfold, he said, I have to come and save Zacchaeus. As the Son of God, as the overseer of our souls, has watched your life, he said, I have to come to save Bill and to save Sue. I have to come and save Dan. I'm the shepherd and the overseer, the overwatcher of Joe's soul. I have to come and save Joe because I'm the shepherd and the overwatcher of the souls the Father gave me. 
Wow. We're commemorating this morning his wounds by which we are healed, by which we return to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. The hymn, Oh, the Deep, Deep Love of Jesus, expresses it so well. Some of you are probably thinking about that hymn as I've, as I've been going about him watching. That hymn goes like this. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, spread his praise from shore to shore. How he loveth, ever loveth, changeth never, never more. How he watches over his loved ones, died to call them all his own. How for them he intercedeth, watches over them from the throne. Amen. It's all quite, it's just all quite a beautiful picture. It's the beauty, it's it's the most beautiful story in all of human history. Do you get that? Brothers and sisters, you have been brought in to the most beautiful story in all of human history. To be restored and brought back into this relationship with this God and this Son, and this Holy Spirit. (laughs) Praise God. May God help us see clearer the unseen things. And I end with just a few thoughts. The gospel call to you is to believe in a person, not just a doctrine, Oh, how we need the doctrine so we can understand the person. But what good is the doctrine if it doesn't lead us to trust in and follow the great shepherd and overseer of our souls? The doctrine only does, only does you good when you follow this shepherd and you pursue the relationship with him. Then the doctrine has done you some good. And praise God, The Holy Spirit makes the doctrine do that. The gospel is a call for us to believe in a person. Indeed, it makes known his call to us. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And if you're not a believer here this morning, I can assure you that Jesus Christ personally is calling you to repentance. It's that personal. It's not my call. It's his call. I'm just telling you about it. I'm sent to inform you about the invitation the king has made. And if you've not come to Christ yet, he's calling you. He's calling you to come to him in the gospel. Receive that invitation. It's from him to you. It's that personal. It absolutely is. Praise God that he's called so many of us. 
partaking of the bread and cup are for those that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, as I've been describing, and uh, and that those who have repented and believed in Him and come to Him as as their Savior. And if you are still learning the gospel and working through that, we're we're delighted that you're here. And uh, as you, our children, are working through that, we're delighted that you're at the table uh, with us. But until you call upon Jesus to save you and you understand that, we, we urge you, as the Apostle Paul did, not to partake of these elements un- unless you actually are remembering he has actually saved you. And, and we pray that you will think about the gospel that you heard here th- th- just this morning. But if you are believing in Jesus Christ according to the things by all means, uh, participate, please. This ordinance is to strengthen your faith and to help you never forget what Christ has done for you. And you're not partaking of it because you're perfect and you don't have other sins in your life and all of that. No, no, no. That's not what it means to partake of this supper in an unworthy manner. No, no. You are the very sinners struggling that need this supper to be reminded once again of how you stand before God and the way is open to his grace. So, with that said, the the bread, Jesus is the bread of life, which is symbolized uh, uh, by this loaf, and he gives us life by being broken, uh, by broken for us. He said, this is my body, which is broken for us for you. And um, you must take and eat individually. Nobody can eat for you. You must trust in Christ individually. That's my point. And you must eat of this bread individually as you trust in Christ. We symbolize that by passing the bread and you, you all take your own bread. Paul had an affirmation that he wrote to the Corinthians, and we like to do that affirmation as a congregation. He asked them a question, and I'll repeat Paul's question, and if your heart can affirm this, say amen. The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Amen. It certainly is. The bread that we break is the communion of the body of Christ. We are one in him. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, and broke it. Mike, where are you? Come up here and lead us in prayer and thank the Lord for the bread. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, we thank you that we can be here uh, as your people, as this body. Lord, we need sustenance for our lives daily. We thank you for the bread that has come down from heaven, our great Savior, your Son, the Lord Jesus. And Lord, his uh, body was broken on behalf of um, 
to to buy us back, Lord, as a redemption, and uh, and to give us life and uh, life anew. We we can go nowhere else, Lord. We realize that uh, you have the words of eternal life, and that uh, you are the bread, the sustenance we need for life eternal. So we thank you, Lord. It was depicted, of course, uh, in Old Testament times as the manna come down. That uh, those people they would not have survived if it weren't for the uh, bread that was given from heaven that God provided. But uh, Lord, uh, this bread uh, symbolizes, as we take it, that Jesus Christ is the true bread that has come down from heaven, and we thank you uh, for giving that. Uh, bread to us. Thank you for uh, his death. And uh, Lord, we we honor him in that way. We thank you for that price that was paid to buy us, Lord, because certainly um, that should have fallen upon us. But we thank you for your mercy, your grace, your plan of salvation, as even as we've heard in the gospel presentation this morning, that uh, all of these things uh, are wondrous to the child of God as we are reminded of those, and especially in a way that we can do today, that we can do it corporately. And uh, so we thank you for that, and uh, thank you for the Lord Jesus, the true bread that has come down from heaven. And as we partake of the bread, may we be mindful of your great love to us in, in the giving of your Son. We pray in his name. Amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Christ shedding his blood. For us, the cup, the cup symbolizes the sacrificial outpouring of his life, which becomes the basis of our forgiveness because God's judicial, holy justice is satisfied. And the pouring out of the blood represents the pouring out of the life of the Son of God. Our oneness in the body of Christ is represented by the fact that we all drink from the same cup. The remission we all enjoy flows from the same sacrificial lamb, the once-for-all offering given for all the people of God for all time, never to be repeated. That is the center of our unity as the body of Christ. That's it. That's the center of it. You must drink individually from this cup. That is, you must trust in Christ's sacrifice of himself on your behalf as the only reason, the only reason you are forgiven. But it is a sure reason. It's the only reason, but it's absolutely sure. You trust in him. No one drinks for you. The command is to you. 
And this is symbolized in us passing the cup and we pour, you pour your own. Paul also had an affirmation written to the Corinthians about the cup. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Amen. It is. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup, gave thanks, and then gave it to them. Let's pray. Father, we thank and praise you for this cup of salvation, what Christ has done, which reminds us of the blood that your Son shed for our redemption, horrific to him, but because of the resurrection, a sign of new life for us. Again, we thank you, Lord, for Paul's words that this cup of blessing that we bless, that it is a participation, a fellowship, a communion in the blood of your Son. Well, this also reminds us that the death of your Son has made us one. We have been brought into union with you. And as we've heard this morning, that we are to die to sin, Lord, and live unto holiness. And as we share and drink together this morning, we thank you for our salvation, and we thank you for our unity in Christ. Amen. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Amen. Our Father, we thank you that from eternity past, you know all things, and you planned our great redemption. Lord, how thankful we are. Lord, help us be worthy of the gospel that you've called us to. Lord, teach us to love you, to love one another, to love our neighbors as ourselves, and to love our enemies. Lord, what have we to fear? We belong to you. Remind us of that. And you purchased us with an awesome price. As Paul said, we've been bought with a price. Therefore, we ought to glorify you in our bodies. Oh, Lord, help us do that in the week, months, and years ahead. Lord, thank you that you've promised to return. And thank you that the gates of hell cannot prevail against your body, your church, that you are building. Thank you so much for making us part with Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.